0: at let it roll cast and check out our brand new Substack newsletter and website at let it roll we've got archives of every episode sorted by genre era guest co-host and mini series it's also a great way to support the show if you can afford it let it roll is a pantheon podcast and you can listen to more great podcasts at www. PantheonPodcasts.com. Today, Nate welcomes back Brooks Long to continue their series of discussions on the work of David Ritz. This week, they discuss the autobiography of Grandmaster Flash, My Life, My Beats, co-written with Ritz. Email us at letitrollpodcast at gmail.com. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy.
2: It's time to let it roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, and tonight we're welcoming back Brooks Long to continue our discussion of David Ritz's autobiographies of various figures in the musical world. And tonight's book is The Adventures of Grandmaster Flash, My Life, My Beats, a memoir by Grandmaster Flash with David Ritz. Brooks, welcome.
1: Uh, So glad to be back. Thanks for having
2: me. Uh, Always a pleasure. And so, like you were just saying, this is a, a new venture we're venturing out of the r and b world into the hip hop world. How comfortable did you think David Ritz was with that change, or was it smooth as silk?
1: I thought it was it was pretty smooth. Um, if I had to guess, I would say that uh well, we know that that Ritz has a, a knack for like for Getting people's voices right, but something tells me that Grandmaster Flash might have played a larger role in this one than uh, than than some others, and 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 Ritz, you know, probably was was in the mix. I'm sure, but uh, but this feels like a lot of Flash in here himself.
2: Yeah, very much so. I I, I definitely feel like Flash had his story ready to tell. Yeah, that and that it was one. Um and I also think he's a uh, I, I feel like Ian Winter here, but I, I feel like Flash is also pretty articulate. And um, <laughs> <laughs> and so and so it, it might have been easier uh, for Ritz. And also by this point, Ritz had been doing it for 20-something years, and I think he had his, his uh, systems down pretty cold. But let's talk about the book and the story. So we're talking about one of the legendary uh, three founding fathers of hip-hop from the Bronx, Joseph Sadler, aka grandmaster flash born in uh january 1st 1958 a new year's baby um interesting childhood i you know we always get the 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 picture of the south bronx in in the early 1970s is obviously pretty dire but he he comes up in the in the 60s which was while things were falling apart i mean i guess they'd already built the cross bronx uh, expressway and and gutted the neighborhood but i don't know i still feel like flash had a pretty a rougher childhood than i had imagined him having i knew the bit about him being mechanical and the kid that would take the toasters apart and uh, forgive me for the amber Alert. texas likes to keep us notified uh but um <laughs> what but you know, I mean, I knew I knew that he was the kind of kid who took toasters apart, who who took alarm clocks apart and put them back together and was very mechanically inclined. But I didn't have any inkling that his father was so abusive or that his mother struggled so much with mental illness. Was that something you already knew or is that a surprise for you?
1: No, I didn't know that stuff at all. Um, I mean, you know, unfortunately, it is a, a recurring theme. The. Uh, the unstable and abusive childhoods in the uh, in the David Ritz book series, but you know, I it, it's interesting to me that I I did some a little extra research on the side. He never mentions that he was born in Barbados.
2: Uh, I noticed that too.
1: Yeah, he
2: leaves the whole Caribbean angle out of it completely. And you know, that's a big part of the cool Herc story was was growing Absolutely. up in Jamaica. And um, I don't know. I, yeah, I was very curious about that. Why, why S- Sadler didn't mention uh, Barbados at all, and and uh, the story is totally Brock, Bronx-centric. And he talks about his sisters and and both parents, but no mention of grandparents or extended family or roots or or immigration at all. So yeah, that was kind of curious. Um, uh, that's a good catch. And the bit about the way his father would abuse him for getting into his records that was another thing that was was shocking was that you know that 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 was the cardinal sin was listening to his dad's records and and i mean you know i jacked up my big brother's records i can remember uh the new york dolls uh too much too soon album that i left out on a turntable that didn't have a cover while somebody was painting the ceiling and it got oh. paint splattered all over it and ruined it <laughs> and uh you know but i didn't take a beating for it fortunately and you know this it was just pretty shocking but it was interesting at the end when he talks about reuniting with his father who abandoned his family which is almost like of course he did um yeah but that, that Flash not only forgave him, but actually was kind of grateful to him for the treatment because it taught him that music really mattered. I mean, it's almost like that Onion article, uh, you know, one of the classic Onion pieces of, of you know, uh, abusive father sets child on path to success. Or something, you
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very, very Joe Jackson kind of territory, you know. Yeah,
2: except didn't stick around for the career part. I mean, at least Joe was there, you know, for that part. But then his mother's mental illness meant that that Flash is, one of his sisters, Lily, got sent off to um to a school in the country, the Greer School near Poughkeepsie. And that that again is I think played a, a crucial role in in Flash's development. I mean, it gave him an insight into more than just inner city Bronx. It, it took him out to the country and, and introduced him to a wider sweep of people. Um, you know, what's your take on that?
1: Yeah, for sure. It seemed, it seemed to, uh, widen things a bit musically. And he also was, uh, taking vocational classes, uh, technically and sort of getting, I guess maybe more, more, uh, theoretical aspects of things from, uh, you know, what he was doing with the toasters and, and uh, with sound systems and, and things like that, that would prove really handy um, later in life, not much later either.
2: Yeah, no no doubt about that. And I I just had a, it was easy to visualize flash with one of those like seventies, you know, Build your own circuit kits at home. Uh, models there at, at the at the Greer School, and I also thought it was pretty fascinating when um, he's talking about how you know he's hearing different music there, and he gets in a car one day and he hears Sly and the Family Stone, and he was like, "What is this?" And and, and, and it was like three years old at that point, and he had completely slept on uh, Sly and the Family Stone and knew immediately that he you know uh, was missing out on. Some something that was huge for him um you know yeah. so that was that was an interesting take but it's time to hear our first uh bit of music and and this is one um this is live from 1980 this is Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five from a uh mixtape that I found on YouTube and this is a, a long set that somebody uh, captured in 1980 so this is what the group actually sounded like in their heyday, live, uh, before a live audience with Grandmaster Flash doing all the music you hear is Flash on the turntables with the Furious Five oh, rapping over it. Big, you want it up top.
1: All right, party people. We need your cooperation in the house. co Crush 4, said they want y'all to count. From 10 on down to 1. Sally Chase, you hit it after 1. All right, everybody,
2: ten, nine, eight, six, five, four, three, two, one. And that was an untitled jam from a live cassette of. Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five live in nineteen eighty. Unfortunately I have no back the the YouTube post had no um supporting information. So I don't know what, what uh the song was called or where they were playing or anything like that. But to me it's almost that it's almost um it had to be that early hip-hop wasn't recorded. I mean, we've talked on, on Let It Roll about how the first years of bebop were not recorded because of the musicians' strike and the shellac shortage in the 1940s. The first years of bluegrass were not recorded. Obviously, Buddy Bolden, the nominal inventor of jazz, was never recorded or not recorded to our knowledge or there's no wax cylinders that anybody's found with Buddy Bolden's trumpet audible on it. And um, we also don't have like any tapes of the first disco DJs like Francis Grasso playing in the gay bars in, in 1968. We, that was not recorded. We don't know what the actual birth of disco sounded like. So of course we don't know what the exact actual sound of early hip hop was like any, any sort of, cosmic uh conclusions you want to take from that i mean it seems like we should have gotten more hip-hop recorded in the wild in the 70s than we did
1: well yeah you know maybe so but to me it's so remarkable that hip-hop is a music culture that can pinpoint the exact party <laughs> when when it all you know when it all came together for the for the first time. To me, that's that's really in incredible. And no, you know we don't know uh, exactly what it all sounded like, but it was it was and to some extent is so. Uh, culturally uh, and and locally locally based, um, that that you know, there just aren't going to be people standing around, uh, you know, trying to trying to get a recording of it all the time. Um, and then, yeah,
2: who's going to be out at a park in 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 the South Bronx in 1974? you know, it, it wasn't like it was a Grateful Dead show, you know?
1: like Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's the same as like, who's, you know, is, is W.C. Handy going to have like a little gramophone in his hand when he's, you know, hearing Henry Sloan playing, playing by the, the railroad tracks uh, to, you know, hear maybe one of the first instances of, of the blues. Um, it's just remarkable that, that you can pinpoint it at all. So to think about um, you know w- what it all sounded like in those early days sounds like Cool uh, Herc, who was you know the, the first DJ to really get things going, sounds like it, it wasn't the smoothest thing uh, and uh, flashed it a lot to make it smoother. We yeah. can ascertain that
2: yeah for sure and that's kind of um the origin story of flash is 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 what he the limitations he saw in Herc's approach but before we even get to that he flash tried two other aspects of the hip-hop culture which hadn't even been codified yet but he tried graffiti and he tried breakdancing and failed spectacularly at both and that's one of the more entertaining parts of the book, especially his story about uh, telling uh, this pretty weak crew that that he joins that he can do a backflip, <laughs> and then <laughs> having to do it in a battle and failing, landing flat on his back. Um, you know, but then when he sees Herc, he immediately says, "I can do that," and and he immediately got. I mean, I guess it was pretty obvious that Herc was doing something new and innovative by just playing the breaks just the drum parts the isolated drum parts of records and that dancers really wanted to dance to that stuff but he was just doing needle drops and he wasn't doing anything to beat match the two records i mean it's interesting like when we did the techno roll series um with ryan harkness that learning about those disco DJs and the way that they were already doing blends and and pitch yes. matching and beat matching by this point. But the hip hop DJs are just kind of barbarians at the gates. And it's just, <laughs> they're just dropping the needle on there and, and having these train wrecks between beats. And that's what drove uh, Flash crazy and, and led him to um, – come up with uh what he called the quick mix theory of of turntablism, and and i i mean it's pretty mag major stuff i mean grandmaster flash is a cultural figure figure of such magnitude it's it's kind of hard to comprehend i mean there's nobody we've talked about in the r&b world i mean i guess if we did a louis jordan episode uh or something like that 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 would be that close to the fire of the origin of a new genre but even then hip hop was a very different genre r&b evolved out of swing and mm-hmm. and gospel and different things and hip hop is co-evolving with disco but it's it's a pretty unique animal and and you know flash was not the first but you know the second right there on the scene so this is big doings
1: Yeah, this is this is a technological break, the same way that uh, you know uh, the electric guitar was was a technological break, uh, or or the synthesizer or 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 something like that, and like you know drum machines, which uh, would get incorporated into to hip hop. When you have like these breaks in in technology um things just really get weird (laughs) yeah and fast Uh, yeah i'm so glad that that you brought up the uh the disco djs because we do talk a lot about you know uh dj cool Herc being like ground zero for uh for turntablism which isn't quite true um there's a guy in uh in baltimore wayne davis who uh who says that he basically brought turntablism to baltimore from being uh at parties and in the loft in uh in new york back in the early 70s and they are they were already bringing uh two turntables together you know they were already doing their uh Sort of primitive blends and and things like that. Um, so not to say that Cool Herc Grandmaster Flash aren't important, but but you know there's steps along this the evolutionary branch.
2: Yeah, for sure. And we did a whole episode in the Technoroll series on these disco DJs that were contemporary with Herc and Grandmaster Flash and in the Bronx and Brooklyn and 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 Harlem as well and, and Manhattan, Central Manhattan. And and so it's coming out of a context, but but Herc's unique thing was was the um, just focusing on the breaks the and breaks, yeah. and and that's what that's what made it distinctive. Well, let's go ahead and hear um the first record that Grandmaster Flash and the Furious 5 ever put out. This was before they got on Sugar Hill Records. This was for Bill Robinson's Enjoy Records and this is it super rapid. Everybody was
3: breaking, the highs was screaming and the bass was shaking and it won't be long till everybody know when that flash was on the beat box going that flash was on the beat box going that flash was on the beat box going
2: And that was super rap in the first official recorded release by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Didn't make a very big impact. Enjoy Records couldn't compete um, with Sugar Hill, um, but still had some local impact. But let's get back to his story. So he's he's failed at graffiti. He's failed at breakdancing. He sees Cool Herc and says, I can do that. But he has to spend quite a bit of time in basically his laboratory figuring out how can he do what Herc is doing and do what the disco DJs are doing, have a smooth, unbroken beat and go from, you know, extend the break without – just having to needle drop and, and car wreck all over the place. And it took him a while and a lot of trial and error to do it. And then finally when he does, then he starts playing in the park. And it's interesting that to me that the first time he goes out to the park with his, you know, rigged up sound system that he's made from from parts that he has scavenged all over the place and built himself – that he's immediately taken under the wing of the Casanovas, which is one of the most dangerous gangs in the Bronx. And it's it's one of those things that's sort of like the way the Beatles were always meeting the right people at the right time. It seems like, like part of this success or magic of, of making these cultural impacts is that Somebody like Grandmaster Flash, of course he gets embraced by uh, the right people in in the local area. And soon there's local goons who steal a sound system and deliver it to him because they like what he's doing so much. But it's not just that. There's also a woman named Miss Rose who ends up becoming – Um, even more important when, when he, when he gives up on himself and, and, and she drags him back. What's your take on the whole local neighborhood scene around flash?
1: Oh man. Well, this stuff really, really got my, you know, the, the, you know, half ethnomusicologist in me going, because this is this is so local. This is so uh, very specific to this place and time in the Bronx. Um, people are not everybody is is doing this, you know. Not everybody is is a DJ. DJs are you know very heralded people in. Uh, in discos but when you know cool Herc is doing what he's doing there's there's nobody else <laughs> it's, it's it's Herc.
2: <laughs> yeah it's a so, rec center and and their apartment building and then and then pretty soon they're going out to the parks
1: yes and so like not everybody's going to be able to claim Herc, uh so you got to find somebody else to claim whose whose music uh, you you like what what they spin and and you know so it's 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 all about like we like what this guy has in in his crates we like the way he's he's mixing the music and so now you have this like uh, hyper local embrace like uh, it, it seems some at some points in the book like Flash is saying that some of his happiest most fulfilling moments were just like being this specialist person in the center of this small little community. Well, you know, uh, eventually got, got bigger. We'll talk about that, but, but, um, but there, there's something about the participatory nature of, uh, of being a DJ for a community that, isn't getting this. I mean, been, and the entire world isn't getting it quite like this. It's only happening in the Bronx. And he's the guy for this little corner of the Bronx.
2: Yeah, yeah, I I think that that, that's a key point. And it's also interesting to me, and I kind of knew this before, but not to this detail, but he apprenticed for a disco DJ named Pete DJ Jones. And the the way this happens was interesting, because he spends quite a bit of time describing his efforts to figure out the quick mix theory. And and the breakthrough of once he realizes he's going to have to put his hand on the vinyl and spin it manually. And, you know, he can mark it with grease pencils and know exactly where the breaks are going to be. And then when he debuts this, and this is one of the famous stories about grandmaster flash is that when he, you know, he's, he's had some success as a DJ, but he hasn't presented his style. And when he goes out and presents his style, he's got such expectations for it. Cause he knows he's onto something and, nobody gets it, you know, and, and, other accounts of this, I've read, you know, that people were just so fascinated with what he was doing that they would just kind of look at him like, you know, like chickens look at an alarm clock or something, you know, completely non-comprehendingly, but, and, The way he tells it, it's just it didn't get any reaction at all. And he really goes into a downspin and and retreats. And that's when this Miss Jones character comes back and says, you need to come to the park and you need to bring your stuff. And that's where she introduces him to Pete, DJ Jones. And, you know, Pete's like. Let's see your stuff. And, and he's impressed. He's actually blown away by what Flash is doing and takes him under his wing. And that was exactly the confidence boost he needed. And he got work as an apprentice just doing disco sets uh, for Pete DJ Jones. And so, you know, this Miss Rose figure is is really pivotal in this story, and I wish we knew more about her. And um, I, I bet somebody does. This stuff has been researched so well. But I also thought it was interesting that he has a story that he tells about a, a local goon who gives him the name Grandmaster. And he doesn't mention Grandmaster Flowers, who was a peer of Pete DJ Jones and one of the best-known DJs in, in the Bronx and Brooklyn and and all the boroughs. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I wonder if Flash doesn't feel a little bit guilty about copping the name from him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. You you have to, you have to wonder. But there's, there, there were a lot of those like grand names. I I think like his, his uh, um, apprentice, who I don't know if he gets mentioned at all. But his apprentice, uh, Grand Wizard Theodore. Yeah, yeah, there? there's, the, there's lots the of
2: Yeah, 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 and 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 uh, and and Flash talks about how he he came up with the zuka 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 bit, but he doesn't mention that Theodore is the one who came up with actual scratching and, and using the record as an instrument in a way, or expanding on the way it was done. And and will tell you, you know, that was just one additional technique to 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 flash is basically laying out the concept and that all the various, then there's so many techniques now from turntablism. Uh, but still, yeah, Theodore, I thought could have gotten a mention uh, more. He gets a mention or two, but he could have got a little more space in the book. And, and it seems like you can really tell flash is an introvert in this book because he's got a couple uh, uh, he, he mentions one friend in particular, Easy he Mike, that he talks about a lot. But his relationships with people are pretty constrained, wouldn't you say? Like, like he's yeah. more interested in things and sounds than he is in people. I would say.
1: I yeah I, I yeah certainly I I've found that uh, there's there are hints uh, among these these brilliant people like a Grandmaster Flash, like a a prince or somebody, there there are these hints of neurodivergence um that that pop up. And yeah, people who like have these brilliant ideas and they can really hyper focus on certain things. But uh you know so a lot of the the social situations can leave a lot to be desired. Yeah, I I I definitely get that. And of course, at the same time, when you have the kind of uh, uh, family structure that that he had, that that'll that'll make things difficult for you as well.
2: Yeah, for sure. Let's take a quick break from our sponsors. When we come back, we'll talk about the Furious Five. It's interesting, you know, talking about Flash that you think of hip hop as rap. And the rappers don't come into the story until well into the book. And and Flash has already established himself as a DJ and has an audience. And um, as he says, by New Year's 1976, he had a crew, he had fans, he had an army of bodyguards, um, and I guess he already had I guess three out of the Furious Five by that point. But it's interesting that that he he recognizes that he wants somebody scene. He's seen and heard what Cool Herc um was doing and Herc would usually work with an mc to some extent i mean Herc would do a little bit of talking and and others would do a little bit of talking but it wasn't rap proper it's also interesting he doesn't mention dj hollywood other than right. to say dj hollywood was one of those djs who could rap and and spin and i couldn't but he doesn't mention that Melly Mel and the whole crew got their cadences straight from DJ Hollywood, and,
0: and you know yeah that, everybody that, did
2: yeah that the whole disco hip hop beef that existed between those crews seems like it never quite healed um, you know because DJ Hollywood was playing to older more sophisticated audiences who were dressing up and you know wearing nice clothes and the, and the hip hop DJs are playing to kids who. You know, are at the park at the rec center, are wearing jeans and T-shirts because they're going to get on the floor and roll around and do their breaks. Um, so uh, yeah, I wonder if that tension is still in. But the the story of Cowboy, uh, his first MC Ke- Keith Wiggins coming in is just classic. Like the, t- <laughs> the two guys are are are, are discussing who's going to take the mic, and and <laughs> a much bigger dude tries to dissuade Cowboy and Cowboy. <laughs> warns him once and then just lays him out with a punch and then immediately picks up the mic and starts rapping. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I definitely got the feeling, that maybe it was because he was the first, but that, that of the Furious Five, Cowboy was the one Flash was the closest to. Yeah,
1: yeah. You, you definitely get that sense. Uh, that, that that could definitely be. And, and I mean, <laughs> uh, given, you know, how... How uh, his relationship with Melly Mel uh, evolved? Uh, yeah, it, it wouldn't be Melly Mel probably, but uh, but yeah, uh, Cowboy seems to, to hold a special place for him, um, and it, it also um, um, probably is just on his mind as well because uh, you know uh, he he passed away like in the late eighties, I guess.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, so there's the, that extra poignancy of, of uh, a lost friend, and without the history of lawsuits that he had with and trail. But so Cowboy comes on board, and then uh, Nathaniel Glover, A.K.A. Kid Creole, not to be confused with Kid Creole, Kid Creole and the Coconuts, but kid creole with two d's um comes on board and he brings his brother in melvin glover aka Melly mel who becomes the dominant rapper of the furious five and then the the final two uh scorpio and Raheem, barely get mentioned and i noticed they don't even have wikipedia entries and and um it's interesting that those two guys kind of get overlooked um out of the furious five but flash does definitely appreciate them as rappers i mean he he talks at length about what each guy brought and and the different styles that each guy had so even though their relationship becomes strained um it's definitely a natural musical alliance and it goes on for several years i mean they don't record until uh 79 80 and and they come together by late 75 76 and and kind of the high point of the first Half of the book is when they play at the Avalon Ballroom, which is infamous, of course, because that's where Malcolm X was martyred. Um, but they played there September second, nineteen seventy six, and packed the house, three thousand people, and that's a big deal for a artist with no recording, you know, no albums out, no singles out, no radio presence to draw that kind of people in Harlem, that's a big thing. I mean, you know, grunge didn't start drawing crowds like that until Nirvana was about to break through on Geffen in Seattle and, and, you know, and speed metal, uh, Metallica and Anthrax had a big show around 1983 that drew 3000 people. And that was a very big deal, but they already had independent records out. So for, for a hip hop group to be putting, packing in, um 3000 people in 1976 I mean it's 3 years before rapper's delight this was a big big deal in the underground uh, in 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 black new york at the time this just can't be understated
1: for sure Over- yeah i i feel like this this was it, it really shows you like for anybody who was thinking that this was going to be a fad um you just you would just have to look at that Avalon ballroom show and see what was going on with like basically no records out about from you know, forget no records out from Grandmaster Fast and, and The Furious Five. There's no records, there's no hip hop records out. Period. Period. And, and you're, you're getting three thousand people out there. That means that there is uh, this is a grassroots uh, music culture that is forming on its own in its own little music music industry music culture, and it's just uh, it is not going to be easily extinguished. I think it's interesting that uh, that uh, Flash does. Note that Melly Mel is the guy that could had like the the verbal dazzle. The he he was he says that he's the guy that sounds like he was paying attention in uh, in English class, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is which is which is cool. And that sort of is like what, to a certain extent, uh, rap is is going to become. What that's going to be all about showing, showing your your vocal prowess but at the time the the goal of the DJ was wrapped into the goal of the rapper so somebody like Cowboy and somebody like Creole these guys are you know smooth and and nice but their whole thing is getting the crowd hype and like you're you know you're you are serving the dancing needs of of your audience there. Um so it's yeah, it's interesting to me that you know the present of hip hop at that time is in that group and also the future meli mel uh is in that group as well.
2: That's an excellent point. Let's go ahead and hear our next song and this is the first record that Grandmaster Flash and the Furious 5 put out on Sugar Hill Records. This is Freedom.
3: I just stand in the wreck. I just book it to the beat. How the fuck you You don't rock with us, you won't have the fall. And we might as well dis rock it all. See, we can't rock if you don't have fun. Because you're the one. That's number one. Now raise your hand up walk ahead.
1: If you agree, what I say, by the hands all
3: in the air,
2: say, Oh yeah, And that was Freedom, the first record that the Grandmaster Flash of the Furious Five put out on Sugar Hill, and and it's interesting the way that that Flash structures the book narratively because he spends a lot of time on his childhood, spends quite a bit of time on on the development of his technique, and then you know there's this big show at the Avalon, and then he just skips over the next three years, and the next thing, uh, the next chapter is just immediately talking about Sugar Hill Records, the Sugar Hill Gang, Sylvia Robinson. It's interesting he doesn't mention her husband much, um, who was uh, her partner in this. He, he he mentions her and he mentions her son, and he mentions Morris Levy, who was the the gangster that was kind of the money man behind him. And it's it's definitely fair to say that Flash never had a good relationship with Sylvia Robinson and Sugar Hill Records. So you think that's fair?
1: I think that's fair to say. I think that many people would say much the same for yeah. Sylvia, uh, and and lots of listen. Uh, I I'm not gonna say you know that they shouldn't have been getting paid better and all that, and they shouldn't uh, that they should have gotten better contracts and stuff like that. But also, it is hard to keep a uh, a music label going if you're an independent label it <laughs> it is it is not easy for anybody i'm certain it wasn't uh easy for a black woman so it was going to take somebody like sylvia robinson and by the way he talks sometimes as if bobby robinson like he was screwing over bobby Robinson. As if Bobby wasn't going to screw him over. (laughs)
2: Um, (laughs) Yeah. um.
1: Yeah. But, and not,
2: uh, don't get Bobby Robinson confused with Joe Robinson, Sylvia's husband and partner in Sugar yeah. Hill. Bobby was the guy who ran Enjoy Records, just for the listeners, that was the first label they were on. Yeah, but Bobby Robinson was also notoriously yes. for, <laughs> for uh, ripping people off and in a much more small-time way than Sylvia and Joe did. Um, but, you know, this, it's it's, a, it's an often-told tale how, how Sylvia had, been, had discovered hip-hop at a party her kids took her to. Wanted to record and supposedly she had approached Flash before she approached, um, before she put together the Sugar Hill Gang. He doesn't mention that at all. He, um, talks about hearing, um, Rappers Delight on the radio and being, you know, astounded that you know what is that who's rapping and then and then going to see that's a record
1: and what the hell yeah and, and recognizing the uh the rhymes from grandmaster kaz and yes. who is doing it
2: yeah the infamous big bank hank uh stealing grandmaster kaz's uh lyric book and 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 copping copying the rhymes um for rappers delight, but be that it is May, Flash and, and the crew end up signing with Sugar Hill. They dump Enjoy Records and Bobby Robinson and put out Freedom, minor hit, but she's got him on the road immediately. Um, and it's it's very interesting when he talks about meeting Rick James, another David Ritz uh, biographer. Um, and Rick James is fascinated by what they're doing and wants to work with him and starts talking details of of deals and flash has no clue he doesn't even know what publishing is and that was just absolutely telling you know
1: yeah
2: i mean sylvia and joe saw these kids coming right off the cabbage truck
1: (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) which is so sad uh you know the bronx was just uh you know a rough rough place um these these kids didn't have uh a shot in hell somebody like rick james who you know we talked about had at that point been in the music industry for a good long while you know it it took him a while to to become the rick james that that we all know so he had he had uh certainly had enough time to know all the ins and outs and how you get the publishing and the the points and all the things. Um, I'm really glad that they ran into each other uh, because, uh, because Rick's somebody who was seasoned who could, who could sort of like lay it all down for somebody. But at the same time, uh, there are points when flash in this book kind of laments the fact that money got into hip hop, it sort of feels like he was, he was happier when he was playing for almost free. Um, which is, which I, I you know, it, is a particularly interesting point um, given what hip hop is today.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: It, it, it's it, the,
2: you definitely get the feel. Um, of somebody who was in the garden the the innocent garden
1: yeah yeah and,
2: and has definitely saw the the apple fall from the tree and the the serpent and the whole bit come in it and it's 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 also interesting and and got to mention that despite hip-hop being a, a dj's medium the first hip-hop records were with live bands and right and only rappers and so flash really had no role to play on these early records and it wasn't until you know he pushed and pushed that they made the record uh, the adventures of grandmaster flash on the wheels of steel which we can go ahead and play and this this was a revolutionary record because this is one of the first times that people outside of new york city itself got to hear what a hip hop DJ can do. So this is Grandmaster Flash, Adventures of Grandmaster Flash on the Wheels of Steel. that was the first hip-hop record where a DJ actually got to take control and, and recorded live, uh, do, m- mixing his records right there in the studio, uh, Grandmaster Flash and the Adventures of Grandmaster Flash on Wheels of Steel. It's interesting he talks about hearing that record on the radio and uh, being happy with it and excited about it, but Sylvia always poor-mouthing him. And I, I'm sure we've all had bosses. I know I've had plenty of bosses like that. You're like, oh, we seem to be selling a lot of our product uh, when's the money going to start trickling down? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, no. There are a lot of expenses, lots of expenses. And, and, um, you know, definitely get that story. And then from the next sort of phase of, of Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five comes along with the message, which is uh, probably their most important recorded work. But, not anything Flash had anything to do with. It was all Melly Mel, an outside writer. And um by this point it's become clear that Melly Mel and, and Sylvie Robinson have their own relationship going and that she sees Melly mel as the most important person which makes perfect sense he was the guy the lead rapper and the records were rap records and especially after the message was a huge hit um you know that that became the focus and so you know obviously sylvia uh there's a lot to knock about her and we haven't even mentioned that she was a um pretty storied recording artist in her own right first oh yeah uh, with mickey baker's mickey and sylvia and, and then on her own with the hit pelotalk in the early 70s so she had a, a multi-decade career as a performer before she becomes um you know a magnate but she definitely didn't show any mercy to um, her fellow musicians when it came to the business side of things, and just uh, pretty much robbed Flash blind and left him high and dry. Just completely squeezed him out of the group.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really sucks because you can see um, you can see the the shift that when the business comes in, when when Sylvia comes in with sugar hill you can see this wedge that she is bringing in not just to the group but it it would have an effect on culture too where uh the dj you know is the the leader the the central person and the dj is the person who you know whose job it is to to you know really feel the crowd and know what they want and really be interactive and really be again to use the ethnomusicological term participatory rather than uh presentational and you know when people stop dancing and they just like stand there and listen to you know you know somebody like Melly mel Um, but as soon as uh, the the business gets in there, um, the business is going to move the presentational person to the center, the person who isn't as responsible to the crowd uh, or and, and to the community. Uh, it kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, a lot of great music has gotten made that way too so
2: yeah it's it's interesting that that you know hip-hop's invented by djs then taken over by mcs and it's not until djs sort of re-evolve as producers uh, and get control you know seize the means of production that 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 they that the music becomes centered to, to hip-hop again and and you know uh, russell simmons and run dmc are kind of the first people to record hip-hop records that sound like what hip-hop sounded like in the parks and on the streets and it's interesting that that's the second generation of hip-hop and and um you know it, it, there there's whole waves of 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 DJ producers. Um, And it's interesting that, you know, by the time you get to somebody like public enemy, there's um, the producers, Hank Shockley and, 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 and that whole gang. And then there's Terminator X as the DJ and the DJ has become kind of an instrumentalist, like a lead guitar player or something rather than uh, the architect of the whole record. So, so the DJ never really does quite get the whole thing back, but, flash at least um does get at least his name back but there was a point at which sylvia was going to take everything including his name name grandmaster flash and he had to go to court for years just to get that he got no royalties no publishing no back end no payment but at least he got his name back this is one of the more depressing legal battles um in the music history we've we've come across of course the whole history of hip-hop and the law is oh man. massively <laughs> depressing and aggravating i mean you know sampling was essentially banned uh or not recognized as an art form i mean you know uh, treated as if it was just stealing and and it's continued to destroy the culture ever since so it's one of my total hobby horses is the way the core systems have have screwed um everybody and and the public and the public good uh, when it comes to hip-hop and maybe this case between flash and sugar hill was kind of uh set in that town but i even knew the story and i was still shocked reading this that how badly flash got hosed in that whole deal
1: yeah you know uh the the way Flash tells it, he just sort of let the other the money stuff go. He just wanted to to have his name. But it it's so it's it, it's so interesting how powerful Sylvia felt that name was. That sort of tells you how important the DJ was at that time. He was the one on the streets that was was making the name. He was the one that people that everybody was coming to see at the Autobahn, you know, he, and you know wherever he was he was playing throughout, you know, his heyday. Uh, people, I, I don't mean to keep you know uh, keep beating up on on Melly Mel, but people weren't there to see Melly Mel. People were there to dance to what grandmaster flash was doing so even sylvia knows that even as she makes the the transition into uh these studio recordings that don't feature grandmaster flash at all she still needs that name because that's who the people on the streets are responding to
2: and the people on tv and movies and and you know they talk about grandmaster flash and the furious five being in the wild style movie and and that that was a big moment for him and and later on when he reconnects with his dad that you know his dad reveals that he had been following flash's career the whole time and collecting his posters and that seeing him on the the movie screen was a big big deal um for for his dad and and that It was the novelty of seeing DJs mix records that was such a huge part of those movies and and hip-hop having such a big impact. I mean, breakdancing was probably the first thing the most visual aspect or the most kinetic visual aspect most perfect for movies. But the DJ was right up there. You hear so many stories about people who were first exposed to hip hop through movies and TV in the early eighties. And it was the DJ they fixated on. It was like, what is this guy doing? I've never seen anything like this. And um, yeah, I think, I think that is exactly why the, Sylvia was so fixated on keeping the name because it was important, even if if she felt like he was not worth paying. Um, he was, people were paying for him to to see him. And one thing we haven't mentioned is that he's totally struggling with cocaine through this whole period. And he goes from having a serious powder problem, and then as Almost everybody who dabbled with cocaine in this period, he gets into free basin and crack and really hits rock bottom. And the last third of the book is kind of him crawling his way back out. and and it's a it's again, it's very interesting because he's somebody who enjoyed success. Even before he had records. I mean, by the time he's make making records, he's been a local celebrity for half a decade and making good cash money. I mean, making a nice living, having an apartment, having multiple girlfriends, multiple baby mamas, um all all just off of the work and the 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 tickets that he's selling to these live shows. So what was your take on the whole? last third of the book when when flash rebuilds his life and and just kind of baby steps his way back into a career
1: boy it's it's really sad um i'm i'm glad he you know he cleaned up he got himself together a lot of people uh just never really came back from the rock um it uh it hit uh it hit everywhere hard um uh it it was it was definitely an epidemic the way you know we we talk about fentanyl now um but uh but it's sad that he had to spend so much of his time uh his heyday when he you know really could have been um getting out there getting his getting his own music out there um and and showing what what djs could do uh a lot of that time he was spending uh you know trying to keep sugar hill from screwing him and the rest of the time just being strung out yeah um um, and you have to wonder if uh if that energy wasn't being spent in those ways how would hip-hop look you know um
2: yeah yeah that's a big question because you know uh, cool heart gets stabbed in the uh, i want to say 77 and 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 basically withdraws from the scene and africa bambaataa the third founding father of hip-hop goes on to create planet rock which is you know uh a whole second wave of hip-hop and and actually ends up becoming more influential on on dance music than than hip-hop um i mean it's the dominant uh hip-hop style for several years after planet rock comes out but flash never got a second act i mean he was he was lucky enough to to be involved and nominally, you know, have his name on on the message, which is an absolutely, you know, apocal moment in hip hop. But he had no role in that. And yeah, it's it's it, it is it is kind of a lost thing. What what kind of what could Grandmaster Flash have brought to the table? It kind of makes me think of the way the whole first generation of rock and rollers never had a second act. Like you know, Little yeah. Richard never had a, a you know never changed never evolved he, he was little richard and then he was a preacher and he was out of the game chuck berry was chuck berry and he did what he did and then he went to prison and he was out of the game you know jerry lee lewis <laughs> did what he did and yeah, was out of the yeah, game yeah. you know and and Flame and crashes and, yeah yeah motorcycle wrecks and car wrecks and and all that stuff and and the the, the first generation of hip-hop guys really didn't with Bambaataa being the big exception in Ben Electro with Planet Rock, um, you know, but uh, Flash Flash never got um, a second shot. And it, it would be interesting to know if he, if he had had opportunities. Like, what would the collaboration with Rick James have looked like if they'd been able to pull wow. that off? Wow. Yeah.
1: Whew. I mean, just, just think about how, like, the heyday of – of grandmaster flash in the furious five is just a couple short years before uh straight out of compton you know and from straight out of compton on dr dre is you know just like this figure for forever and ever and you know you know to this day you can still hear new fresh uh dr dre beats the guy just you know, just had a a set at the Super Bowl. You know. Yep. Um. You know that that could be Flash. You know that that could yeah. definitely be Flash, and he definitely paved the way for all of that to happen for sure. Um. But we could be talking about Flash the way that that we we talk about Dr. Dre and and uh, and other producers like that.
0: Uh, yeah
2: for sure or you know even a marley Marl or somebody like that yeah, uh, yeah. second second generation and um and and it's also interesting that he he mentioned some of the 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 younger hip hop artists and how fascinated he was by their styles um you know it definitely is a feeling of once he wins that court case, it's kind of like time has passed him by and and everything else is is kind of the you know victory lap retirement round or he's just happy to be working and getting back out there and and i'm glad he's had you know uh, a, a long healthy life since he's mm-hmm. recovered and 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 has um unlike bambada hasn't had any kind of shame mm-hmm. or scandal um you know attached to his name so uh, you know we can we can still be proud and grateful for grandmaster flash and we're Proud and grateful for Brooks Long for coming on the show. Uh, This has been Let It Roll. We've been discussing the adventures of Grandmaster Flash, My Life, My Beats, a memoir by Grandmaster Flash and David Ritz. Brooks, as always, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure,
0: Nate. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter, at Let It Rollcast, and check out our website at Podcast.com. Monday, Nate continues the Rock and Roll Telepathy series with a discussion of the autobiography of John Phillips of the Mamas and the Papas. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.PantheonPodcast.com.